There is nothing wrong with your podcatcher. Do not attempt to adjust the feed. We are controlling the bitstream. We control the encoding. We can mispronounce names. We can consume alcoholic beverages. For the next half hour, we will control all that you read and discuss. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to pledge support. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. And today is no different. No different. That's right. Um, actually, speaking of author interviews, we're having next an... next week will be different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Next week will be slightly different. Um... <laughs> But still within the realm of what we promise. Not that different. Episode. It's not like not that we've different. never interviewed an author before. Correct. Um, it's been a minute. Uh, we are having the fantastic New York Times bestselling author, Veronica Roth, on the show. How will I tell the difference between the Veronicas? Well, I'll be asking the questions and she'll be answering them. Oh, and I just stay silent. That eh, works for me. <laughs> I think it sounds perfect. It'll be a, still be a show. It'll be, It'll be fine. Interview ever. It'll be fine. Uh, no, I'm really excited. She's coming out with <laughs> yeah, her first uh, non-YA novel uh, called Chosen Ones, which I've started reading, and it's great. And so she's doing something super interesting, too. She's doing an all-virtual book tour. Oh, um, well, of course. <laughs> kind of have to, right? <laughs> given. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to talking to her and look for that episode later next week. Awesome. But in the meantime, Tom... I noticed that you have listed here on the show notes that you are drinking uh, blackberry flavor. Well, yeah, I'm drinking blackberry flavor bubbly, which is not a champagne. It's one of those sparkling waters, but it's spelled B-U-B-L-I. Boobly? I don't Boobly? know. Like Michael yeah. Boobly? But it's like it's like LaCroix meets Michael Boobly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's just one of those sparkling waters like LaCroix with a little hint of flavor. And this one happens to be the blackberry flavor. Nice. Sounds refreshing. Um, I am drinking Haus. 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 H-A-U-S. H-A-U-S. It's it's an aperitif uh, made here in California by a friend of mine, actually. And they have just gorgeous design. And it's all uh, Chardonnay-based aperitifs. And I'm drinking the ginger yuzu flavor. So you're drinking a a craft yuzu (laughs) while Mm -hmm. I'm drinking... A poor man's San Pellegrino. That's what's going on. You're drinking blackberry flavor. I'm drinking blackberry. I'm drinking Tarani syrup from coffee shops. Straight down. Just like pure. Just give it to me pure. Mm, Undiluted. No soda, please. No coffee. I need the pure stuff. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Let's jump into the quick burns. Yes, indeed. Uh, The Hugo nominees have been announced. And uh, I'm proud to say, Veronica, since you expressed your desire to want to read many of the nominees for the Hugos, uh, we have tried our best to anticipate that. And we did a damned good job. Here are the nominations for best novel. The Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley. Hey. Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. And then Future Potential Picks, The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders, A Memory Called Empire by R. Katie Martine, Middle Game by Shauna McGuire, and The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. Now, you may be saying, now hold on a minute. 
the current pick isn't on there. But that's because the current pick is a novella. And in <gasps> fact, This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Matar and Max Gladstone is nominated for Best Novella, along with To Be Taught If Fortunate by Becky Chambers, In an Absent Dream by Shauna McGuire, The Haunting of Tramcar 015 by P. Jelly Clark, The Deep by River Solomon with David Diggs, William Hudson, and Jonathan Snipes, and Anxiety is the Dizziness of Freedom by Ted Chang. Nice. Man. I'm I'm giving us a little shoulder brush there for We actually win it like and it was the tournament pick, so really you all, all deserve you. the credit for voting. <laughs> but yeah, we went into novella territory for the Hugo Noms. I think that's a difficulty level like multiplier or something. Well, congratulations to all the nominees. Yeah, um, absolutely. We were not not again nominated, uh, but we also didn't try to get nominated. <laughs> <laughs> I know we have no one to blame but me. So don't feel too bad for for ourselves. Um I'm I'm really excited about these. I I and I'm excited that we get to watch all the goings on uh, virtually this year mm, too. So yeah. that'll be that'll be fun. Super super fun and easier on my jet lag. Uh, I always like to point out the the films and stuff. Uh, best series: The Expanse, Encrypted, Luna, Planetfall, Winter Night trilogy, and the Wormwood trilogy. Those are best fiction. Those are best written series. Uh, best dramatic presentation: Long form Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel. Good Omens, the TV version, Russian Doll Season 1, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and Us from Jordan Peele, and Best Dramatic Presentation, Short Form, The Good Place Episode The Answer, The Expanse Episode Chibola Burn, Watchmen Episode A God Walks Into a Bar, The Mandalorian Episode Redemption, Doctor Who's Episode Resolution, and Watchmen Episode This Extraordinary Bee, and Watchmen getting two noms there. Ooh, nice. Well-deserved. Um, And of course, it is also that time of year for the Nebula nominees, the 2020 Nebula nominees also being announced. And these are also going to be a virtual uh, ceremony on the evening of May 30th. So you can definitely check that out. Uh, For best novel, we have Mark of Cain by Charles E. Gannon. Congratulations. The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Martin. Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Mir, and A Song for a New Day by Sarah Pinsker. Yes, indeed. Uh, th- this would have been near my house again this year, I think, uh, were it oh, allowed really? to happen. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of sad that it's it's not going to happen in, in real life, but uh, still going to be available virtually, which means more people can take, a, take part in it. And we have also some uh, similarities in the novella category real fast. Um, Anxiety is the Dizziness of Freedom by Ted Chang. The Haunting of Tram Car 015. Uh, this is How You Lose a Time War. Her Silhouette Drawn in Water by Vilar Kaftan. The Deep by River Solomon. And Catfish Lullaby by A.C. Wise. All right. Uh, thank you to Mark for noting the Hugo nominees and uh, and, and pushing that along. Uh, thank you to Jan for this bit. Tor.com reports that a new novel from Andy Weir, of course, author of The Martian, is set to be released spring next year. Mm. Project Hail Mary is a twisty story about a lone astronaut on a spaceship tasked with saving Earth. He likes the lone astronaut. I mean, he, you mm-hmm. know, he's done a lot of research on the lone mm-hmm. astronauts. So that makes sense. Uh, lone astronaut on a spaceship tasked with saving Earth. And MGM is in exclusive negotiations to adapt the novel as a movie with Ryan Gosling <gasps> already attached to produce and play the astronaut. Wow. That's fantastic. Congratulations yeah. no, that's to Andy great. Weir. Well done, Andy Weir. 
Um, I just want to know, I've been, uh, I, I've kind of gotten back into some video game time oh, uh, yeah. during, during our quarantine. And the one that I picked up, uh, is called, um, shoot. Ex- is it exploration? Mar- no, surviving Mars. Mm. It's called surviving Mars. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. It's a it's a, it's a pretty typical like resource game like a sieve type game where you are um, colonizing Mars. Okay. And so you bring right. colonists down, you build their domes, you and plant you help terraforms. <laughs> yeah. And one of the quotes that's in the loading screens and stuff is from The Martian. Oh, cool. So I thought that was pretty cool. Nice. Uh, definitely a good fun game to to kill some time if you're into the sci-fi stuff and gaming. While you're waiting for the next Andy Weir novel to come out in spring of next year. That's a long time. Um, Kenley (laughs) says, another new activity for while in quarantine. Join your favorite authors on Zoom, where you can have spirited discussions from the privacy of our own quarantine space with the Quarantine Book Club. Hmm. So far in the sci-fi fantasy realm, they've had Cory Doctorow on on April 1st. Uh, Up next in our categories is Tim Mohan. Uh, I'm not sure how to say M-A-U-G-H-A-N. Could be Mon, could be Moggin. Mon, Mon, yeah. Moggin. Um, author of Infinite Detail on April 9th and Madeline, uh, Madeline Ashby, author of Rev on April 15th. Uh, looks like the series is happening almost every day. The cost is $5 or free if you can't afford even that low price. And the web, uh, the website, the web address is quarantinebookclub.com. What a great idea. I love it. Good stuff. Mark uh, notes that that previously mentioned divergent author Veronica Roth has sold the film rights to Chosen Ones. We'll save that for the next pod because we're going to yeah, talk about that. Yeah, we can that. ask her directly about that. But uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Kevin Feige bought the rights to Divergent back when he was the head of Summit Entertainment. And now he'll produce alongside Divergent producer Poya Shabazian and Roth herself, uh, making it on the personnel side a sort of reunion of the people who worked on divergent though though different content yeah and i believe this is also going to be a series i said um, kevin feig of course just because of habit it's eric feig uh eric feig got it um yeah but i i expect there there will probably be more films as well if the first one does well which it probably will because the divergent series went very well um yawn also says this has to be my favorite themed award i never heard of uh tour.com reports that the winners of the 2019 kitschies have <laughs> been announced apparently the kitschies are the annual tentacle themed prize for works containing elements of the quote speculative and fantastic the winner of the uh, the winner of the red tentacle for best novel is the firestarters by jan carson or jan carson who is apparently a woman jan says <laughs> and the winner of the golden tentacle for best debut is jelly by claire rees and the winner of the inky tentacle for best cover art is the memory police Designed by Tyler Comrie. So the red tentacle is for novel, the golden tentacle for best debut, like new artist, mm-hmm. and then inky is for cover. Got it. Okay, thanks. Amazing. Carry on. Uh, Jan says, unfortunately, though, none of the winners seem to actually contain any tentacle-based narrative. Although, do jellyfish have tentacles? Yeah. I think you could sort of say that. They do. They certainly have fronds. I would have called them fronds. tentacles. Yeah. yeah. But they don't seem to be... Mm. This is a good question of what constitutes a tentacle. The the award is tentacle themed. I don't think the book has to be. 
do you think, I think, I think we could find enough books to qualify every year. So the kitschies are for the most progressive, intelligent, and entertaining fiction. The tenties. Is that the that, one we're inventing? Yeah. The okay, tenties. The tenties. The tenties. No, the, the, the noodles. Mm, the no- <laughs> oh, mm. like noodly appendage. Yeah. The, the noodlies. The, no- the noodlies. The noodlies. Could be mistaken for an entirely different award. Uh, it's hard. It's hard coming up with these ideas. That's why we don't do them. All right. Well, now it is time (laughs) (laughs) for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Uh, We had a response on my question about light book selections uh, from David, who writes, Dear Tom and Veronica, I took advantage of the Uncanny Collection special on Brian McClellan's website. Nice. They're short story novels, uh, but easy and a lot of fun urban fantasy. Also, when I need a break from sci-fi and fantasy novels, uh, like after a Wheel of Time novel, for example, I reach for a Stephanie Plum novel. There are about 25 of them. Light novels about a bounty hunter who has terrible luck in her field. (laughs) So not a very good bounty hunter. Uh, The nice part is they don't need to be read in order. I recommend starting with book six, since that is when the character of Bob the dog shows up. The dog. Good luck with all the craziness out there, David. Uh, the, I reach for Stephanie Plum light. Mm -hmm. So light novels, meaning like they're not heavy. They're not dark. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what we were looking for was something kind of fun and, and entertaining, easy to read. Take your mind off things, but yeah, not making I love the idea of, of a, a series of books that are not in order. Like you don't have to read them in order. I feel like there aren't a ton of those, but well, I think that's a really good idea. Because people don't trust you when you tell them that. Mm-hmm. They're like, mm-hmm. no, but it's, it has to be in order. Because they say that about Discworld, for example. And I have never trusted that. And I've always tried See? to read them in order. Exactly. And in fact, the uh, Hog, Hogfather was one of the first ones that I actually did read, quote unquote, out of out order. Of order. Mm-hmm. And... Even though I I felt like it was a very well-contained novel on its own, I knew there were references I wasn't getting. I knew there were characters that had been around in other books that made me frustrated that I didn't know exactly who they were. Here's the thing. That would be true of the first book, too. Mm. If you didn't read them in order, and let's say you read the very first book in Discworld, Seventh, you would suddenly be getting all these references that you wouldn't have got if you read it first. Cause it's all so self-referential throughout the thing. Wait, are you saying that if I read the first, Oh, if I read the first one in one of the smaller collections, then mm-hmm. I could still be missing references. Cause I hadn't read all of the right. other Discworld novels. Well, exactly. Time. <laughs> I guess that is a, a, an even bigger point is that you're always going to be missing references because there's always a reference to something you haven't read yet. Even if you quote unquote, read them in order. Cause that, cause they're so multilinear. Could you get references to books that came out after he wrote that book? Well, yeah. In other words, what I'm saying is the references aren't uh, in one direction. Mm-hmm. He plants things ahead of time, and then, or sometimes I think just takes advantage of like, oh, I, I mentioned that here. I'm gonna, mm. I'm gonna make it real. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so it still works in reverse if you don't know it's it's only the fact that you know it's out of order that makes you go, oh, well, this is out of order. That's why I'm not getting this. Whereas gotcha. if you were told, oh, no, this is the first book in the series, you wouldn't feel like you're missing any references. You'd just think like, oh, this is a, a really deep world with lots of interesting things. That makes me feel a little bit better. Also, uh, Bob the dog. I was like, why is that in my head? Bob Dog from Mr. Rogers. There was a character named Bob Dog? I think so. That does sound, that does feel familiar. It feels really familiar. Yeah, Bob Dog. He was uh, the dog in the neighborhood of make-believe. Oh, you know what? My high school boyfriend had a Jack Russell Terrier named Bob. Huh, that too. So I think that's what I was going for. I wonder if he named his Jack Russell Terrier after Bob Dog from the neighborhood of make-believe. You know what? I'll never know. <laughs> we'll never often, find out. Yep. <laughs> There's no way of knowing. There's no way of knowing. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I mean, he's fine, I'm sure. I just will never. Oh, I thought you were trying to say We're he was not on dead. speaking terms. <laughs> Someone write to him. <laughs> don't say Let's it's not. from Veronica. Let's not. <laughs> we don't even know who it is. Uh, but yeah, Bob Dog. Bob Someone out there Rogers. does. Someone out there does. You read the next one. Okay. Uh, Genesee Rickle <laughs> said, finally finished February Sword and Laser Pick, The Lightning Brigade. It's The Light Brigade. Uh, tough read during COVID, relentlessly gritty and dark, excellent social commentary, a mind F of a timeline <laughs> that requires your attention, and it all ends with a bang or a blink. Wink. So awesome. Star, 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 star. Nice. Yeah, I, I I agree. You know, that's something I feel like we didn't talk about uh, during our wrap up. But when I was reading this was right at the beginning of mm. the COVID-19 stuff. And I was like, ooh, weirdly timely. It's almost like she went forward into the future. I read it before. Yeah. So like it, not not before we knew about it, but I mm -hmm. read it before it was really happening here because you finished early in march yeah. and so yeah. and so it wasn't at, I, I mean it definitely crossed my mind of like oh it's kind of like that thing happening in china <laughs> right Ooh. but that's the time in which i read it uh i could totally see where that would that would hit differently later in the month yeah yeah uh funny how the whole world can kind of change in the course of such a short amount of time yeah yeah um, Beth Mitchum says, uh, posted a tweet to us saying, I read this one ahead of you. And then ah. links to her own tweet on uh, her uh, her review of This is How You Lose the Time War. I think it's, it's spoilery free. Um, so I'm going to read it. Two trained operatives from opposing sides suddenly, slowly, and desperately discover emotions and each other and try to rewrite the world with love language. Language is power. Yes, I mean this. This verges on getting into the to the discussion uh, that we're the non spoilery discussion that we'll have about this uh, book for this month. But uh, very, very not only very well summarized, Beth Mitchum, but almost in the voice of blue and or red. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I like it very much. Yeah. Well done. Well, let's jump into the book of the month discussion. Uh, still early here in April, so we have plenty of time. Uh, this, as Tom said, will be a spoiler-free discussion. Um, yeah, Hugo nominee. This is how you lose the time war. Hugo and Nebula nominee. Uh, That's this true. This is how you right. lose the time war. 
um, by Amala Motar and Max Gladstone. Um, I, I have finished it, uh, but I don't think there's too much spoilery stuff that I could possibly get into. Um, so we'll be it's extra just careful. Not that kind of a book. It's really not. Yeah. While there, while there are a couple of what you might call twists, I, I hesitate to even call them twists because it's not like, oh, I've sudden, you know, it's not, it's not a suspense book. It's, this is a book that is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be, uh, when we read one, one Q84, I, I, I think I, I talked about bathing in a book, just letting mm-hmm, it kind of mm-hmm. just soaking in it. And that's, that's this kind of book to me. You're just enjoying the voice. You're enjoying the language. You're enjoying the interplay. Uh, it's not about plot. And I think that's why some people aren't going to like it because they're like, well, I could use more story. I could use more plot. Uh, not that there isn't story or plot, but it's not the important element of this. The important mm-hmm, element mm-hmm. is the conversation. Uh, we had a great post uh, from Lee uh, called Dual Authorship, and he did write it a D-U-E-L authorship. I And I started to correct that in the in the rundown, and then I realized maybe that's on purpose. So Lee says, I really like the concept of dual authorship, particularly where two authors write different characters, POVs, and combine them like Good Omens. Uh, that certainly is read in 2011. Oh, that was so long ago. And I read last year where Terry Pratchett wrote Aziraphale's parts and Neil Gaiman wrote Crowley's. I was wondering if anyone could recommend other books using this device. And what is this device technically called? Dual authorship sounds too simplistic to be right. Maybe a little info on the technique in general. And uh, David actually posted uh, to a link from Scalzi's blog where the two authors actually discuss uh, the idea behind the writing of this novel. Um, and apparently there is a there is a term for this. Um, I'm going to go look for it, too. You look uh, for that. Uh, later okay. on in the thread, Lee admits that he didn't mean to spell it D-U-E-L. <laughs> Uh, that he wished he was that clever, but now sees the pun. And Tassie Dave was nice and was like, I still think it's brilliant. I think your subconscious brain made made you come up with that title. Because, of course, it is this story in particular, right, is a duel between red and blue Mm -hmm. uh, handled by letters uh, to each other, of course. But uh, it is both D-U-A-L authorship and and a little bit. I'm I'm not saying that Max Gladstone and Amal Al-Matar were dueling. But maybe they were in in the friendliest of ways. In fact, uh, there is a link from David H. to the uh, post on John Scalzi's whatever blog by Max Gladstone and Amar El-Matar introducing the book in which they write letters to each other in the post about how they came up with the book. It's pretty great. Yes. Uh, Actually, okay, so I found it in the next thread uh, that... I wanted to go over, which was from Terp Kristen, who says, uh, poetry or novel or novel in poem form. I had to do a porch drop at my parents' house today, about an hour from my house, so I got a good bit of listening in time. Uh, my first impression of the book, possibly due to how the audiobook narrator read it, was that Red was written a lot like a poem. Short sentences, seemingly full of imagery, Blue seems less poetic and more like typical prose. But as I listened, I kept coming to the question of, is this a poem or a novel or a novel in poem form? I'm not sure the answer, though it seems that a plot is slowly forming. Anyone else? And then Rick says, it's a epistolary, epistolary novel. It's an epistolary novel uh, written as a series of letters, uh, which I think lends its language to the descriptive and alliterative, hence the similarity to poetry. 
It's not the traditional novel where we follow characters along a well-defined plot. It's an emergent love story between two agents on opposing sides. So any plot comes from the answers to the question, now what? I really like that. Yeah, epistolary novel, of course, the the epistles, uh, if, if you're uh, familiar with the New Testament uh, of the Christian Bible, that that is a lot of the letters from Paul, the epistles. Uh, and, and that's where that, you know, a lot of people may be familiar with that word, but it just means a novel written as letters. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and so jumping back real quickly to Lee's actual first question, uh, the, this is not an epistolary novel, but the first book that jumped to mind when he talked about dual authorship was Leviathan Wakes, where, huh. uh, even though it's James S. A. Corey, James S. A. Right. Corey is so-called band name of Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. And when we talked to them about Leviathan Wakes, they talked about how they each took a perspective chapter in Leviathan Wakes and they would work on it and then they'd give it to the other to look over and provide feedback. But one of them wrote uh the the um the, the captain character and the other wrote the detective character, which are kind of two different genres. Uh, and you had you had those interweaving genres in Leviathan Wakes. I had totally forgotten about that. That's a really good callback. Um, yeah, I think Good Omens is the one uh, that we mentioned earlier that most people probably think of just because it is such a popular book. Um, but you, you have to wonder, a lot of these author teams um, that are out there, like Alona Andrews, for example, is actually a husband and wife um, writing team. They probably do something very similar. Uh, so I wonder how much this actually does happen and and we just don't realize it or think about it. Uh, but it's it's a pretty cool, cool way of, of writing something. It, it definitely has its own challenges and benefits uh, when you're working on something with someone else where you can kind of build off of each other, uh, come to different conclusions and ideas that you might not have otherwise on your own. Um, I would love to, uh, it'd be great if we could get the authors on the show sometime to talk more about that process and, and how it actually felt during the creation of, of the novel itself. Um, I'd be really curious to, to hear more. Now, this is, we're talking about dual authorship. That is separate from epistolary novel. This is right. a dual author epistolary novel. Uh, yes. For instance, Dracula is considered an epistolary novel because it is told by Bram Stoker through letters. Uh, also uh, diary okay. uh-huh. entries uh-huh. And, and dictations and, and such. But uh, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters is another one uh, written from the point of view of letters. So it doesn't have to be a dual novel to be epistolary. Because right. it isn't always letters to and from each other. And I'm, I'm very specifically talking about what we're now apparently calling dual authorship novels, which thank you for coming up with that name. Um, that's what I'm talking about more, more so is the process of writing a novel with two, two people um, versus and the epistolary novel, as you mentioned, which is a series of letters that could still be written by one person. Just that yeah. is the technique that they are using for the perspective I think I don't think we could we could get, get through this conversation and survive an avalanche of emails without mentioning Griffin and Sabine by Nick Bantock too. Do you, you know about that, Mm-mm, right? I don't know. It is a novel written as a series of hand painted postcards and letters. That's cool. Yeah, 
And it's it, it was a, a bestseller in 1991 when I was working at a used bookstore, which is why I'm <laughs> very familiar with it. Uh, because not only were we getting lots of them sold back to us, but uh, it sold like hotcakes. And you had to make sure all the postcards were in it because it would actually have the hardback had physical postcards in little envelopes that you could open while you were reading the book. Seems complicated. Yeah, pretty complicated. Kind of a complicated publishing thing there. But so many versions of this. I find How to Lose the Time War uh, to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I liked it, if that makes sense. It. I mean, yeah. It does. It makes sense. I'm not saying I disliked it. I didn't dislike it. Uh, I enjoyed it. If that the, to make it that even weirder, make like I enjoyed soaking uh-huh. in it, but uh-huh. I'm not sure if I like. I, I hear, and I'm giving myself away. I'm not sure if I like the story, and that's the point: is the story is not is not really the aspect that is most important here. It's not. It's not. Um, I think there was a lot. Let's let's save it for the for the wrap up episode because mm, I for think the wrap up yeah I think we're veering very close yeah. to having to spoil if we want to really make our points but I just wanted to get that out there of like well it's more I just have a lot of thoughts that you're kind of on in the same vein that you're talking about and I want to save those emotions for yeah. for the wrap up but it's I I just wanted to yeah. put that out there that it's different than uh, my normal thing what, that I've been talking about lately is oh do I look forward. Uh, to wanting to read it? Do I enjoy when I do read it or do I kind of make myself read it? This one mm-hmm. didn't really fall into any of those categories. I feel similarly. Yeah. It was more like putting on ointment. That's a weird way to put it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to everyone who helps back the show. If you want to learn more, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And of course, you can support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email feedback at Sword and Laser. Our website is swordandlaser.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Sword and Laser on both of those platforms. And you can join in on the discussion at goodreads.com slash sword and laser. And, you know, you can always leave us a voicemail. 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!